Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. So Corey is here today because Corey specializes in training puppies, and she and I have talked before about how puppies can be especially challenging for families that have children, and especially toddlers where the puppies see them as playmates. And so what we're going to do today is just talk briefly about some strategies that parents can use to contain their puppy so that everybody can get a break, so that puppy can get enough rest, and so your kids can feel safe and not feel chased all the time. But before we do that, I want Corey to introduce herself. Yeah. So um, I am the owner of Pals Unlimited Dog Training. I actually started my training career um, about 11 years ago now. I started off in the marine mammal training field. So I started as a volunteer, did some internships, eventually um, got hired on as a trainer at a couple different facilities. So did that for about 11 years and then was just kind of ready for a change. So that's when I switched over to dogs. Um, And I got into dog training for kind of two main reasons. One, I loved the training and the behavior side of things. And I really wanted to help owners better understand training, behavior, how to interact with their dogs, how to see, how to get that bond and and that life that they wanted with their dogs. So I wanted to help owners with that. And then at the same time, like most uh, pet lovers, I wanted to keep dogs out of the shelters. You know, I broke my heart. I volunteered at a few different shelters and I wanted to try to help prevent that from happening. And so um, early on in my education, you know, binge watching webinars, reading all the books and everything, I learned that the best way to keep dogs out of shelters was by starting with puppies, you know, preventing. Prevention is key, preventing any behavioral issues from starting. And so that's where, um, you know, my focus on puppies started from, stemmed from. Um, and from there, that's kind of been my my vision and, and my focus in my business. Yeah, I love that so much. I My best friend from college is a sea lion trainer, and she still oh, nice. is a sea lion trainer. And nice. she has been to conferences all over the world. And I learned a lot about dog training by listening to her talk about how they yeah. mark appropriate behavior when a sea lion mm-hmm. does what they want it to do. And yeah. nobody can force a sea lion to do anything it doesn't Definitely. want to do. And so Definitely. there is a lot of crossover between marine mammal trainers and dog trainers because a lot of trainers get their start in the marine mammal world where you learn that if I reward behavior that I want to see again, then I'll get more of that. Just rewarding what you want to see, rewarding it consistently and the more, I always tell people, whatever you reward is going to happen more often in the future. So right. that success, just keep rewarding what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Be, be sure that you're not accidentally rewarding what you don't want to see. Right. I, I like that a lot. I do want to go back to one point that you just said, because I think a lot of people do have one misconception about puppies that I think we should just address head on right away which is that puppies are not made out of clay. So while I absolutely agree with you that if we start with puppies and we can help them repeat good behavior, there we can't ignore genetics and we can't yes. ignore um, epigenetics, which is how the environment can change 
one's genetics. So mm-hmm. I do want to just put that out there that um, there is a, a common misconception, which is that there are no bad dogs. There are only bad, bad owners. And that is not necessarily true. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. there are some dogs that come out of the womb wired wrong and it's, it's not your fault. And it yeah. is not, a, it's not because you're a bad owner. So I, I want to make people feel a little bit better from the standpoint that while they can set the stage and do a really good job setting the dog up for success, they're not entirely to blame if things go south. I mean, they can be, obviously. You and right. I have seen where if somebody's maybe hurting the puppy as hurting, not hurting, another topic we'll talk about, but if they are <laughs> using pain as a way of punishing a behavior they don't like, um, then you're, you're perhaps breaking trust and you're getting in the way of this bond that you're so excited about building. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think that this will come up on and off as we talk today, just because I think it's important that people understand that, um, it's not uncommon to have a dog that's harder than you thought it was going to be. And it's not because you did something wrong, but it could be because you got a breed that for hundreds of years, it was learning to do a behavior that is not compatible with your lifestyle. And I, I just listened to this amazing podcast that featured Kim Brophy, who is an applied animal ethologist. So you and I both will totally geek out over what she does. But the gist is, is she talks about, essentially, she talks about wild animal behaviors that have been bred for generations for survival advantage that then end up in an environment where it's not conducive for them to actually do those behaviors. So what I ended up imagining in my head as I was listening to this is that, and I'm going to use a border collie as an example, because they're a perfect example of a breed that was bred to do something that's very difficult to live with inside a house. So I keep thinking of border collies like a cheetah trapped in a china shop that you're taking this dog that was supposed to be moving fast and doing a job and containing it in a way where we're not setting it up to succeed and we're building frustration. So that's why I'm so excited to talk with you today about puppies and how to help rein in some of that behavior, but not label these bad dogs at the same time because they're doing what they're supposed to do. Biting, chasing, nipping the kids. These are all very normal puppy behaviors. They are not because you have a bad dog. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's a great point. Um, And I'm glad that you brought that up because 100% genetics definitely play a role. Um, And that's why I encourage people to research the breed, you know, get to know what breed you're actually interested in um, and find the right breeder, um, find a good rescue, get to know kind of, um, you know, the, uh, the line that you, you might be, you know, the, the um, breed that you might be um, purchasing or what potentially, what the background is of the rescue dog that you might be adopting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because 100% breed absolutely plays a role Um, And if you're going the rescue route, those early experiences, even those first couple of weeks, you know, even if you're getting an eight week rescue puppy, you still have eight weeks worth of experience along with the genetics, you know, so absolutely. And you're right. Um, I do think there needs to be more conversation about genetics. You know, you, you brought up the whole, um, the, you know, there's no bad dogs and you're right. Sometimes there's just a bad breed line, you know, there's just bad breeding. Um, and that's really important because you're right. I mean, I do think owners need to keep in mind that you're right. It's not their fault. It's not necessarily their their fault. You know, um, I always tell people 
you can't do anything about genetics. So let's just focus on what we can control, you know, mm-hmm. and that's all we can do, you know, and at some point, you know, you do have to, you put in all the work and there is a little bit of hoping for the best that does yeah. happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that there are really great breeders out there who are doing mm-hmm. all of the right things and choosing exactly the right dogs who have the behavior and physical health yeah. characteristics that should be propagated. And I think there are a lot of people who manipulate the public and do it for the absolute wrong reasons and maybe only pick a dog because it's pretty or because it's a champion, Mm -hmm. even if it's a biter or even if it has anxiety. And then that just distributes that problem out through all of the baby dogs that go and end up in homes. And so it's very frustrating when we see um, a set, a subset of individuals who make the industry look bad because I don't think that, um, (laughs) I don't think that you're a bad person if you get a dog from a breeder. And, um, I, I think that there's the right dog for every person. And I think you need to choose which dog you want. And that could be a rescue. And it could be because your goal is literally to save a life, in which case you're going to do what you're going to do. And that's awesome, but you're going to get a different result possibly than you might if you are very intentional about what you're looking for. Um, I have always rescued dogs my whole life, but I, my dog now is from a breeder. I have an older dog who's a foster fail, um, very much a Heinz 57, right? And, and honestly, I have one daughter who's biological and one son who's adopted. So I am never going to judge someone for adopting anything because that's literally a part of who I am as a person is, um, I want to rescue things. It's just what I do. Um, (laughs) but I do think that you just have to realize that, um, you have to work with the dog in front of you. And the more you can learn about that dog, the more that you can serve that dog in the way that it needs to be served so that you're um, reducing frustration. So anyway, so let's talk about how we can help some families. So I'm assuming, um, that there are a lot of people listening to this episode who may feel frustrated because um, at least, you know, at the time of this recording, people are home and they're stuck at home with kids and dogs and it's a little bit overwhelming, or maybe they brought in a puppy because it was, they're all home. So it's a great time to spend quality time with a puppy because you're not going anywhere, but then finding it really frustrating that the puppy is in everybody's business is chasing the kids. It's biting socks and hands and feet and pant legs and all those things. And, and it feels overwhelming and unsafe and not sustainable. So what, how do we deal with this? What are some management strategies so that we can set everyone up for success? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, puppies are tough. You know, when you bring a puppy home, you're basically bringing home a a toddler, I'll say like a two-year-old, you know? Um, And so first of all, having no kind of having realistic expectations is is step one. Um, Understanding that this is a baby animal who has lots of needs and it's up to us to provide for them, you know? Um, So that, I think that's step one, just having those realistic expectations. Now, step two, what can we do? How can we, how can we make this easier for easier and better for both the puppy and the people. Um, I'm a huge proponent of pens, gating, uh, baby gates, crating systems. So I always recommend, um, first of all, the supplies that you're going to need. You, I always recommend setting up a playpen area for your puppy. Me too. And I call that the puppy's bedroom. So you set up a playpen area inside of that playpen area. 
you there should be a crate with the crate door left open a potty area um, because I don't recommend taking your potty uh, taking your puppy to potty outdoors until they're fully vaccinated um, so you're gonna have an indoor potty area as well as water unlimited fresh clean water and plenty of chew toys um, and I'm a huge proponent of Kong's puzzle toys which we might get into talking because that's like a whole nother conversation we can have but plenty of chew toys and Kong's for your puppy and that is your puppy's bedroom so that's their safe space we're gonna make this a positive place for their for your puppy and your puppy's gonna love to be in there now there's a couple reasons for this a we need a space we need that safe space we need a place to put our puppies when we cannot supervise 100% puppies really require constant supervision and by constant I mean having eyes on your puppy 100% of the time. And that's just not realistic. There's no way, that is not realistic. Um, so that's one reason. Also puppies need a lot of sleep and a lot of rest time. And I think we forget about this. Many of the behavioral issues that we see, the biting, the, the um, just kind of hyperactive, kind of quote unquote crazy behavior that we see from puppies, a lot of that is due to lack of sleep. Yes. And so by having that playpen area, we have a place where our puppy can go and rest. So setting up that playpen area as well as setting up a some form of a schedule. Now, I'm not I'm not big on having like a rigid schedule day to day. Um, you can if that's the type of person that you are, but you want to have some sort of schedule. You want to basically with a young puppy, we'll take like an eight to 10 week old puppy. You want to have at least two to three hours of rest time for every one hour that your puppy is awake. So kind of uh, basing your your day-to-day -day life around that is gonna set you up for success as well. So that way you know your puppy is getting that rest time. So you're less likely to see that biting and crazy behavior that leads to those problems. You know, it's interesting that you said that because I think one of the challenges a lot of parents face is that their children think that the puppy is a toy for them mm -hmm. and that it's at their beck and call anytime the kids yeah. want to play with the puppy, yeah. forgetting that the puppy has needs of its own and that the puppy needs to sleep the majority of the time. Yeah. I yeah. do want to go back and touch real quick on the potty situation because mm -hmm. I will say that depending on where you live and depending on the... Um, you know, the germ situation where you live, you know, you can take your dog outside to potty in a safe place. There are people, for example, who live in apartment buildings, that's very hard to find an appropriate safe place where it's not heavily trafficked, in which case a lot of germs that could put, put the puppy at risk. I happen to be really fortunate to live in a community where my vet told me that he has not seen a case of parvo in 10 years. Um, oh. But that's not to say that you know, one or two counties away that there's not, right. Right? right? So you have to make that decision with, you know, I'd like people to consult with their vet and, yeah. and other experts before they do decide that. I do like the idea of training them to potty outside if possible, just because it builds that routine of not peeing on your belongings. Mm -hmm. So for me and you, I'm sure also that the potty area is not just potty pads, which feel a lot like towels and sweatshirts and kids. Yeah, I hate <laughs> yeah, me too. And so potty pads turn into this chew toy and they get shredded and they make a mess and they really feel a lot like carpet. And mm -hmm. like I said, any items of clothing that your kids happen to drop on the floor. Um, and so instead, you know, when I was raising a service puppy, I did have to have like a potty area for a little while. And I set up a litter tray with, um, 
pellets. And so what was great about that is the pellets, they would dissolve into like sawdust or something when the dog would pee on them. But what was nice about that is there was no confusion about surfaces. So she knew this was the pellet spot. This is the potty spot. And the pellets didn't feel like anything else inside my house. Yeah. So there is, I just want people, I'm not arguing or anything. I just want to say that, you know, we obviously want to consult with our vets, but we don't want to avoid, we we don't want to cause confusion and have our puppies think that peeing in the house is always the best strategy. And another benefit actually of containing our puppy is they don't pee all over our house. Mm-hmm. If we happen to look away for two seconds, right? Yeah. We, yeah. you know, because they, they, puppies are babies, just like our human babies. When they have to go, they have to go and they will, they'll just yeah. out it comes. So, um, we have to set them up for success. By- yeah, definitely. Definitely consult your vet. And I do think it's personal, you know, personal preference and it's, you know, go off of what your vet recommends 100%. It depends on the area, the location that you're living in, like you said. Um, But, um, you know, that's just my own personal recommendation. And one little side note, since you brought up the pee pads, um, the nice thing about setting up the indoor potty area in the playpen is it's just one location. So like you said, they're not, they're learning to just go in that one location. And then I like to use turf. I've heard the pellets too work, Um, but I like to use a turf pad because then puppies are very particular about the substrate that they go on. Mm-hmm. And so we can teach them, Hey, this is the substrate. This is the surface you're going to be going on for your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, then right from the get go, it's, it's much easier um, to then transfer to outdoors. I agree. It feels like grass. So I think that's yeah. really good. And I love that you said that. I think that's really important there. You can later when the puppy's a little bit older practice going in different surfaces, because when mm-hmm. I was raising my service puppy, she had to be able to potty on cue so that she could have a life as a service dog. And so she had to be able to pee on concrete, to pee on wood chips, to pee on the grass. To mm-hmm. pee. And that's tricky, right? So, But I love the idea of setting them up to practice in yeah. one place or another before you really get going. Then they can learn what it means to go potty and then you can start to stretch it to other services. Yes. Yeah, that. definitely. definitely. Okay. So a lot of puppies though, as you can imagine, they're very sad to leave their mom and they're very sad to leave their litter mates and they come home to this new house and they get stuck in a pen and it feels mm-hmm. really bad and sad and lonely. So mm-hmm. how do we help this puppy not feel like they're being put in jail by going yes. into this pen? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we want to, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we want to make sure that we're making the pen a positive place. So mm-hmm. I love, um, like I said, lots of chew toys, lots of Kongs. Um, I like to feed our puppy um, inside of their pen area. So now they're associating the pen area with food, with treats, with toys, with all this good stuff. Um, And again, going back to that schedule, you are gonna be kind of going back and forth. So you are gonna be spending time with your puppy outside of the pen. And basically, if we go back to following that schedule of an hour of awake time followed by about three hours of rest time, In that hour, that's your time to bond with your puppy, play with your puppy, do training exercises. And so by the time that hour hits, your puppy should be tired and your puppy should want to take a a nap, you know, and rest. Um, So then when it comes time to, for that rest time, when you put them in their pen, um, you know, you can give them a nice stuffed Kong or a a, a chew stick of some sort, a Nylabone bully stick. So that way they have something to kind of chew. Chewing is self-soothing for dogs, so they can kind of work on it as they settle down and then they fall asleep. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So right off the bat, those are some ways to make it a positive place. Now, what do we do? Your next question is probably, what do we do when our puppy starts barking and whining, right? That was Um, my next question. (laughs) Um, So we, when our puppy's in our playpen, we really want to, and, and actually, let me, let me backtrack. This goes for anything. We want to determine want versus need. When you first bring your puppy home, like you said, they just got separated from their mom. They're in this brand new location. Um, you know, they're, they're nervous, right? There's a lot going on. Um, so in those first few days, your puppy is going to have probably more needs than once they get settled in, right? They, they have the extra needs of they just got separated. And so if your puppy starts barking and whining, especially in those first few days, you do want to go and console your puppy. You want to make sure that your puppy feels safe. So um, some ways that we can do this, we can, um, we can spend some time throughout the day in the pen with a puppy if the pen is big enough. Um, and then when it comes time to, uh, for your puppy to rest, let's say your puppy starts barking and whining, simply going over and just kind of, you know, talking to your puppy, hey, it's okay, maybe rubbing the puppy's back gently, um, just to give them that reassurance that, hey, we're still here, you're okay, everything is okay. Obviously, giving them a nice comfy place to sleep is is um, also helpful. Um, so we want to, we do want to meet those needs. We want to make sure that if our puppy actually needs something, is feeling nervous, is feeling um, scared, anxious, we want to make sure we're meeting those needs. Now on the flip side, there's also the want category um, where our puppy might be barking and whining simply because they want attention, they wanna play, it's more attention seeking behavior. That we wanna be careful, we don't necessarily want to reinforce that. So we don't, and what I mean by that is we don't necessarily want to um, give them the attention that they're seeking because if we do that, then they learn Barking and whining works. It gets me what I want. And so now I'm going to keep barking and whining. It's tough in the beginning. I would say the first few days, you can pretty confidently assume it's a need. And we want to meet that need. Moving forward, and as you get to know your dog, you get to know the dog's quirks and the personality and the different pitches of the barking and whining. That will help you moving forward to determine, is it a want? And maybe I should ignore it. Or is it a true need and do I need to go and and meet that need for my puppy? Okay. I like that you really have that clear indication of of wants and needs because a lot of people have heard, um, I should never go and help my puppy if it's whining and all of that sort of thing. But I... There has been some recent science um, that has been done about not responding to children and or animals mm-hmm. when they are crying. And I think that it does more harm than good yeah. um, when it is in certain circumstances, right? right. We need to right. make sure that their needs are being met. So I think that's really great. And I find that with my puppy, he gets really fussy the more tired he gets. And this is the same with children. You know, I've raised mm-hmm. two kids and the more tired they are, the more fussy they are, and the more likely they are to protest until they realize there's nothing else to do and they just crash and fall yeah. sound asleep. Yep. And so sometimes it's that little bit of protest of mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable because I'm so 
tired. Yeah, definitely. And as soon as they fall asleep, that goes away. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So I think these are really great um, strategies. So I guess a common situation that happens is, you know, we get kids that are being pursued by the puppy and the puppy is seeing these children as playmates. And I want to make sure that we're not using the pen as a punishment. Like Mm -hmm. you chase the kids. So you're naughty and you're going in the pen. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. The pen should never be a punishment, like you said, um, because we always want it to be a positive place. We don't ever want the pen to be a negative location for your puppy. So that's where baby gates come in. I um, I always recommend plenty of gating, uh, like a gating system in your home, because you do need puppies. You know, puppies are going to start biting. It's completely natural behavior for a puppy to bite. Um And so when that happens, we want to be able to um, remove ourselves. So you don't want to, a lot of people kind of tend to, like you said, they might use the pen as punishment. They might um, want to give the puppy a timeout. Mm -hmm. And I do use timeouts. However, I remove myself or, you know, I have my clients remove themselves. Um, so that way, it, a couple different reasons. Um, it's it's safer. It doesn't create that negative association with the pen, um, and it's more. It actually leads to better learning for the puppy. Puppies bite because they're playing and they don't understand that. Hey, this hurts my humans, um, especially with young kids. And so if our puppies bite and we then leave, we're basically communicating to the puppy you just hurt me. I don't want to play with you anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus puppy starts biting. And then we're trying to scoop up the puppy to put him into the playpen. That just creates way more problems. It creates a negative. You, it, it, um, affects the bond that you're building with your puppy. Um, it, it creates a negative association. Now the puppy doesn't like to be approached by people. Potentially they're potentially getting nervous about being picked up. They don't like their pen. And so it's just easier, um, invest in some baby gates. That's the best thing that you can do. So that way you can remove yourself when needed. Um, and then in terms of specifically kids, um, it is important that, you know, Kids are going to, they're going to want to play with the puppy. They're going to want, like you said, um, they kind of, usually they want to be around the puppy at all times, right? They, they see the puppy as their playmate. Uh, the puppy sees the kid as their playmate. Um, and so it is important for parents to be supervising, right? Because a young puppy doesn't understand yet how to appropriately play with children. And some children don't understand how to appropriately play with them. I agree. Parent supervision is important. And that way, what you want to do as you're supervising, you want to start to hopefully look for the precursors of the biting. You want to start to look for, um, you know, oh, my puppy's starting to get a little bit more hyper. Or maybe my puppy's starting to um, starting to bark. And I know usually when the puppy starts barking, that leads to the biting. You know, you can usually start to, by observing your puppy, you can start to look for the signs that this is starting, this is going to get out of control. And that way you can end it. You can just simply go over the uh, baby gate, or maybe in this situation, you can put your puppy in the playpen in a positive way, um, which we can talk about, you know, luring them in or tossing treats in so that they go in voluntarily. Um, But you want to try to stop the behavior before it starts as much as possible. So that way it doesn't escalate out of hand. And again, if it is starting to escalate, that's usually a really good sign that your puppy needs that nap time. 
So that's a good um, alternative uh, and a good kind of reminder like, oh, my puppy probably needs a nap. Let's give him some rest time. I love that. I actually think that's a perfect spot to wrap up. I think that parents, that's a great reminder because parents often see those same precursors when there are multiple children in the house and their play starts to get out of hand before mm-hmm. one sibling punches the other one or starts screaming or tattling or you know how things it's it's all it's all fun and games till someone loses an eye that kind of situation <laughs> and I think I think when you have puppies and kids it's fun until it's not and if you can catch it before it's not yeah. then nobody has any negative associations with right. the experience right, right. Yeah. And and bad habits aren't forming, you know, that's huge too with puppies. You don't want that habit forming. And so like you, if you can just catch it beforehand, it's just a win-win across the board. So just taking some time to observe and learning your puppy's precursors will go a long way in just keeping everyone safe and happy. Right. Oh, so good. What a great way to end. It feels so positive. Like, oh my gosh, there's a solution to this crazy (laughs) problem. Oh my gosh, Corey, thank you so much. And, um, you know, hopefully we can have you back in the future and we can talk Absolutely. about other thank puppy strategies. I loved having you. All right. Take thank care, you so much, Corey. Okay. Bye. bye. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Pooch Parenting Podcast on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice. If you're looking for ongoing support for your family with dogs, be sure to get on the waiting list for my Thriving Parents with Kids and Dogs membership at www.safekidsanddogs.com. And don't forget to follow Pooch Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening.